0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Pure Bracket Wisdom is brought to you by Pure Hoops Media. Here's the man who runs all the numbers and cracks the codes for bracket success, Ed Feng. There's no way you can predict uh, sports based upon mathematics, there's always, there's always going to be an upset. There's always going to be a surprise. There always is every year. You can't quantify which these guys are going to get nervous and which ones are not. It's March Madness. You can never predict what's going to happen. That's why it's the madness. Running numbers on March Madness takes the heart out. My name is Ed Fang, your host and the founder of thepowerrank.com. Those voices you heard were from a 2012 documentary on my March Madness analytics. Amy Nelson of SB Nation flew out to San Francisco, and we met at a bar. We were talking about how to fill out her bracket, and her crew was interviewing people in the bar. As they were coming to do a video on analytics, I think her crew was a little bit surprised to hear this feedback about how math couldn't predict the tournament. I was a little surprised too. I mean, this is San Francisco, a city at the forefront of technology. I really liked the last guy best, because the crew clearly made him say this statement again. Running numbers on March Madness takes the heart of it. And you can see why th- these people thought that March Madness is not predictable. Just think back to 2018. The University of Maryland, Baltimore County, pulled off the unthinkable and beat Virginia. This was the first time a 16 had ever beaten a one seed. And they didn't just beat the one seed. They beat one of the tourney favorites. So on ESPN, 18.5% of brackets submitted to ESPN, had Virginia to win the entire tournament, and that was the highest percentage. I've been waiting for a 16 to beat a 1 for forever. I even had a bet on it with my friend. So, was I pumped to see it when it finally happened? No. I went to bed at halftime. UMBC and Virginia were tied, and I thought there was no chance that the upset was gonna happen. I found out about it the next morning, and then I had to go to Adam Stanko's Twitter feed to figure out what had happened. Adam Sanko is part of the Pure Hoops Media Network, and you can catch him on the Catch and Shoot podcast. Upsets happen every year. With 32 games the first Thursday and Friday of the tournament, there's almost no way for there not to be these upsets. Let's assume that the favorite has a 90% chance to win each game. This means the underdog in these 32 games has a 10% chance to win, and you can figure out the expected number of upsets by taking the win probability and multiplying by the number of games. So in this case, you get 0.1 times 32. And this means that you would expect three upsets in those first two days of the tournament. Now, you see way more than three upsets every year, and that's because the lower seed often has a higher than 10% chance to win each game. The tournament has become March Madness simply because of the sheer number of games in the round of 64. But as the tournament progresses, the favorites tend to emerge. Since 1985, 41% of Final Four teams have been the one seed. And this is important for winning your pool, since the games later in the tournament earn you a lot more points than games earlier in the tournament. In the standard scoring system, the choice of champion earns you 32 points, compared to the single point you'll get for any game in the round of 64. The choice of champion is the most important one you're going to make in your bracket, and this is where analytics can help. Let me tell you about how I came about my methods for predicting the winner of the tournament. Your research is stupid. I knew it was a mistake as soon as these words left my mouth. But I was an arrogant young man. I had my PhD from Stanford, and I was chosen to be a Miller Fellow to do my postdoctoral work at Berkeley. This is academia's way of saying that I was supposed to be the next superstar professor. It's a little bit like being an NBA lottery pick. But when I got to Berkeley, I didn't get along with my mentor. And when we got into an argument, I told him the truth about what I thought about his work. Not a good idea. It was the beginning of the end of my research career. I would hang on for a couple more years, just like that lottery pick turned bench warmer. But my career was ending, and the fault was mine. I was stubborn. I refused to play by the rules and write paper after paper. I wanted to be the first, and I wanted to write that perfect seminal paper. Luckily for me, when my research career was ending, I stumbled across a paper by the founders of Google. They had developed something called the PageRank algorithm, and it used the link structure of the web to determine which websites were the most important. It ranked these websites. I got excited about this because it was based on the same mathematics as my research. And I immediately saw the potential for it to rank sports teams and to make predictions for games. So I went and I did the work and I figured out how to incorporate margin of victory into this framework, this page rank framework. And this new algorithm became a way for me to take margin of victory in games and adjust for strength of schedule. To see how this works, consider this year's Maryland team. They've been a very pleasant surprise this Big Ten season, even contending for the regular season title. But maybe we should have seen this coming. They hosted Virginia in a non-conference game, and they lost by five points. So in my system that takes margin of victory and accounts for strength of schedule, they get a lot of credit for hanging close with Virginia, one of the top three teams in the nation. Now, on the flip side, consider a team like Tennessee, they spent a number of weeks as number one in the AP poll. They had only lost one game. However, they were never able to crack the top three in my college basketball team rankings. And to understand why, consider two games. Tennessee played Alabama at home and only won by three, and this was a game in which they were favored by 13 points. Tennessee also went on the road to Vanderbilt, who is the worst team in the SEC by my numbers, And they only won by five. Now, if you have a system that only looks at wins and losses, Tennessee would get credit for that. But in my system, they actually get docked because they didn't perform up to what they were supposed to. It was 2010, and a friend of mine knew I was working on these team ranking algorithms. And he told me I needed to do college basketball numbers before the NCAA tournament. And I said, no, there's already this guy, Ken Pomeroy, out there. He does really good college basketball numbers. Really wasn't much of a point in doing that. He insisted, and I gave in, and I calculated some college basketball numbers. Those college basketball numbers were far from perfect, but I had learned something from my failures in academia. You're never going to get anything done if you wait for perfection. I got those first college basketball rankings up in 2010, and it was clear my friend was right. People were really interested in this. It's been almost a decade since those first numbers, and I've had the chance to go back and look at how well my algorithm predicts the outcome of the tournament. Since 2002, the higher-ranked team, by my pre-turning numbers, has won 71.2% of games. But remember, you don't really care about all games. It's most important to get the champion right. So, how does my algorithm do for this? Before the tournament, I can take all the gains that have happened, and I do my team rankings. And then from these team rankings, you can calculate a win probability for each team. The team with the highest or next highest win probability has won nine of the past 17 tournaments. Now, there's a little bit of good fortune in this result. If you look at the win probabilities, you can just add up the win probabilities of the top two teams every year to figure out how many teams we would have expected... To win the tournament. And when you do this. You get that you would have expected seven and a half teams. To become champion over those 17 years. So there's some good fortune. In that more than half of the actual champions. Have come from these top two teams by my numbers. But it still suggests that this is a pretty powerful tool. For figuring out who should be champion. In these 17 tournaments. Only three champions have come. From outside of the top ten in my win probability. Two of these were UConn. They won in both 2011 and 2014, and that 2014 team was really a surprise. They were a 7 seed, they almost lost in the round of 64 games to St. Joe's, but they went on a run and they ended up winning the whole thing. So March Madness can happen all the way to the end of the tournament, but it's rare. And analytics can help you make the most important choice in your bracket, choosing the champion. Thank you for listening to the Pure Bracket Wisdom Podcast. My name is Ed Fang, your host. Just a reminder, my March Madness cheat sheet makes it drop-dead easy to fill out your bracket. You'll get the results of my team rankings that I've been telling you about in this episode, but the winner of each game will be listed in this cheat sheet, so you can just go right down and fill out your bracket. To sign up for this free service, go to thepowerrank.com. That's my site for better March Madness predictions. That's thepowerrank.com The Pure Bracket Wisdom Podcast is presented by Pure Hoops Media There are three other podcasts that you definitely want to check out. The Mike Wise Show with journalist Mike Wise comes out on Mondays Catch and Shoot with basketball minds Adam Stanko and Noah Kozlov comes out on Wednesdays and the Pure Hoops Podcast with three-time NBA champion BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman comes out on Fridays